Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Kia ora and welcome to the Have to Travel Show. I am your host, Helen Brown from Cruise Planners. Oh, I hope you guys are ready for some Highland stuff today because today we are traveling to Scotland and we're going to find out some of the Really cool, well-known things to see and do, but we're also going to dig in a little deeper and find out some of the hidden gems of things to see and do. So grab a pen and paper and let's get started. But before we get started, we have to welcome back Ashley Vaughan from Brendan Vacations because she is going to be our guide to Scotland today. So Ashley, welcome back and thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be on the show with us. Thank you for having me again. (laughs) We always have fun. I have my pen and paper ready. I hope everybody else does, because when we did the one on Ireland with the Hidden Gems of Ireland, I took over three pages of notes on that one. So <laughs> I've done my wrist limbering exercises and my finger limbering exercises. So <laughs> You're ready to go. <laughs> I am ready to go, girl. <laughs> so I want to start Love in it. one of my favorite places to talk about, Edinburgh. And the reason mm-hmm. I want to start here is because I have had a love of Edinburgh now I have to admit I have never been to Scotland. I descend, I am a I am a, a direct descendant from the Ross clan, which is from the Inverness area. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my Scottish heritage. But I've had this fascination for Edinburgh ever since I saw my first ever Edinburgh military tattoo televised in New Zealand when I was growing up, and I watched mm-hmm. it every year that they televised it. So that has been another love of mine, and. So I want to talk about that. I don't know why I picked that one yeah. to start with, but that's where I want to go. So it's so funny because Edinburgh is a very, very cool city. It is the capital of Scotland, and it's one of the older cities of Scotland. So um, when you're looking at a map of the country, the two largest cities are Edinburgh and Glasgow. And Glasgow is more of the modern, updated um, cultural center. So you have a lot of modern art galleries there. You have a lot of shopping. Um, so it's got more of that edgier, modern feel to it, where Edinburgh mm-hmm. is, like, stepping back into history. And one of the biggest draws of the city is the military tattoo, like you were saying. But so much, yep. so many people don't realize exactly what it is or, or why they should see it, and it is. It's spectacular. I think you can agree since you watched it every year. It is a, it's such a spectacular display. I only got the TV feel of it. I never got. I haven't got the in-person feel of it. So, I get excited watching it on TV, and I love when the when the pipers come out with the bagpipes. Mm-hmm. I just love listening to bagpipes, whether they be where it be the lone piper at the beginning of the ceremony, or it be you know the hundred plus strong piping bands that they have coming out. I just mm-hmm. love bagpipes, and that's always been my draw to that. But I can't wait to actually sit there in the grandstands and watch it live in person because it's going to be a it completely is. different experience. Yeah, it's a very remarkable experience. So for those of you who don't know, the military tattoo is held um, every August, and it's going to be from the 4th to the 26th in 2017. So I, I believe now it's six days a week. 
um, twice on Saturdays, I think. And so they have many shows. And basically, every day that you're traveling through Scotland, if you're in Edinburgh, you have the opportunity to go. What they've done is behind the castle, Edinburgh Castle, which stands on top of a hill overlooking the entire city of Edinburgh, they've built this massive stadium behind it. So you can't really see it. It's kind of nestled into the hills until you get back there. And you sit down in this massive stadium, and you watch the drum and pipe formations that the old military would have used um, in their everyday kind of parade formats, if you will. So it's all based on military formations and the drummers and the pipers kind of signaling that the troops were coming and modified, obviously, for modern day into a really um, eclectic show of singing and dancing and piping and drumming, just so many cool things to see with the military tattoos. So, again, it's a, it's only done in the month of August, and it's, again, in a really cool setting right there behind the castle, which is pretty spectacular, too. And it's not just the Scottish bands and military that's there as well, too, because this year I saw video, because uh, I didn't get to see it on TV, because for some reason I they don't seem to broadcast it here in the States. But um, I saw on video that they had the New Zealand Army was there and they had the New Zealand Army Māoris doing the haka, which was just phenomenal. So, I mean, any time the guys do the haka, yeah, that's just phenomenal (laughs) anyway. But um, I know they also have international um, militaries come over and participate as well. Yes, definitely. So as you alluded to, Helen, a lot of people around the world have Scottish ancestry. And so um, similar to like you would see on the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, um, different pipe and drum organizations can actually apply to participate in the tattoo every year. So it is a global gathering, really bringing together musicians and performers from all over the world, which is really cool because so many people do trace their roots back to um, Scotland or just have love, like you said, of of bagpiping and the drum formations. Um, I actually went to a Scottish-themed high school, so a lot of the people that I know growing up were really into Scottish dancing or into the drumming, and so they would go Mm -hmm. and perform in the tattoo as well. So you don't have to be Scottish to to perform in it, but it does draw people from all over the world, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. So besides the military tattoo, (laughs) what else could we see in Edinburgh? Edinburgh is a very cool city, so if you're going and you want to see the tattoo, obviously August is the time of year to go, Um, but Edinburgh, as I said, is the largest city with Glasgow. Those two cities are about an hour apart, and they're in the south of Scotland, so very easy to get back and forth from each of them, and Edinburgh really has this draw of that old history. So walking through the streets of the old town is very interesting, going to the high street or what we would call Main Street is known as the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. There's a lot of great little shops and pubs. Um, There's a lot of little twisty, windy streets that you can kind of get lost on, which is really cool. And obviously the castle itself is a pretty, pretty big draw because it is just, again, perched there on top of the hill. The hill is actually a dormant volcano. So not a lot of people realize that, but that's why it's so tall over the city. And within the castle itself, you can see the Scottish crown jewels um, and really hear some great stories of Scotland's history, which is very a very tumultuous history. Um, obviously, yeah. they are part of, of the United Kingdom and Great Britain, and 
they have this very strong identity of being Scottish before being part of Great Britain. And so you have this really interesting history of how they've fought against the British and how they've been conquered by the British, but they still really maintain this independent spirit that you've probably seen in in all these movies, Rob Roy and uh, Braveheart and all these things. This is very mm-hmm. true. Scottish people are very, very proud of being Scottish first. So they do have their own crown jewel. They have their own kings and queens before they were taken over by Great Britain. So a lot of great stories to hear in Edinburgh Castle, which is pretty cool. Oh, that would be awesome. I mean, I love, especially when you get a really good tour guide that can take you through some of those historic places and give you some of the stories behind, you know, like the mm-hmm. Scottish crown jewels, give you some of the stories behind the people who used to wear them, who used to rule the country. Some of the interesting stories of, like you said, what the country went through with all of its battles, mm-hmm. yet it still maintains a, a separate identity, even though, like you said, it's part of Great Britain. Um, yeah. I mean, now I know where my stubbornness comes from. <laughs> <laughs> Probably definitely Scottish. <laughs> oh, I definitely have some Scottish blood in me on that one. <laughs> For being oh, very, um, yeah, being very outspoken and yes. <laughs> the other thing um, I love so- about Edinburgh is that it there's so much right there. Within about an hour's drive mm-hmm. of the city, you can visit um, really cool places like St Andrews, obviously, with the birthplace of golf. Um, many people want to golf the course. There are multiple courses there, and that can be a little bit tricky to get into the old course and some of the other courses at St. Andrews, but everybody can go and stand at the 18th hole. There's a beautiful bridge there. Um, my aunt was actually recently engaged there a few months ago, so it's a very oh, awesome. picturesque, yes, yeah, very cool place, very picturesque. A lot of um, proposals happen there on the bridge at the 18th hole. So it's it's a beautiful area, and again, about 45 minutes outside of Edinburgh. There's also a lot of really cool castles in the area, too. So having the ties to Britain, you have uh, very close by Edinburgh, you have Stirling, um, where Stirling Castle has had a lot of the English royalty that have stayed there. So I think most notably would have been Queen Mary, who lived there towards the end of her life. And then you also have Glamis Castle, which was the former home of the Queen Mother and the birthplace of Princess Margaret. So lots of castles that are right there in that Edinburgh area that do have ties to British royalty, too. Excellent. And what's, what's some of the hidden gems of Edinburgh? I know there's a lot of history in that there, but what are some of the um, the things that if somebody goes into town and they're doing – because we spoke when we were on the um, – the, when we're talking about the hidden gems of Ireland, we, and we'll touch on this a little later on, we also talked about the different types of ways that you can tour um, mm-hmm. Ireland, so we'll talk about that later on with um, the Scottish thing. But if you've got somebody who's doing a self-drive tour through Scotland, what some mm-hmm. of the don't-miss places that they should do that not many of the tourists should, would go to in Edinburgh? So Edinburgh, obviously, we've talked about a lot of the highlights. And when it comes to some of the hidden treasures, um, I think one of the best things to do for Edinburgh is really just to walk and get lost. The Royal Mile has a lot of little hidey holes and secret places that you're going to discover as you're kind of making your way around that area. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and so really just getting out and discovering things is kind of the secret of the city. Think about Edinburgh. It's a medieval town, and it's, 
heart. And so there's a lot of little closed-off alleyways and little squares that have been kind of rediscovered because the city was built in this haphazard way. So really just walking through <laughs> that old the town. I've seen of it. <laughs> yeah, it. It's crazy. I think somebody was drunk when they were They're like, we'll just throw a road in here. But um, really kind of getting lost in those areas is part of the fun of the city of Edinburgh and enjoying some of the more traditional things like having meals in a pub um, in Edinburgh is probably a better experience than doing, say, in Glasgow just because of the ambiance of the city itself. So there's a lot of really cool things to do as far as getting, getting lost, if you will. One of the other things that I really love about Edinburgh is something called um, the Real Mary King's Clothes. And this is kind of this deep secret of, of the old town of Edinburgh. And it's really an area that's kind of remained frozen in time since the 17th century. It's an, an area that you go into and you have a guy who's dressed in period dress. And they basically take you through this old medieval part of the city. And you have these other um, characters that come out in medieval dress that really tell you more of the stories of the people who lived in the close and what it was like kind of being in this area in the 1600s in the heart of the city, one of the busiest and most vibrant parts of the city. Um, it was shops. It was homes. It was all of this stuff kind of shoved into a very, very tight little area. And then you had the history of the plague, which was really mm -hmm. hard hit in this area as well. So it's kind of a fun way to experience some of the history. And it's a really short okay. experience. It's about an hour and a half, an hour and 15 minutes. And then after you come out of the clothes and you've heard all the cool stories and everything that's happened, they have some of the most amazing shops right there um, where you can find things that you don't find in gift shops anywhere else around the city. So Mary King's clothes is a really cool thing that I would highly recommend for people to, to discover on their trip to Edinburgh. Oh, that sounds awesome. And, um, God, like I said, the history stuff. You got me on the history stuff. <laughs> you don't need to say yeah. anything. <laughs> you, you mentioned history, that's it, I'm done. Okay, so after we leave <laughs> Edinburgh, where would, where would we head to next? So I think really the most popular part of Scotland outside of Edinburgh is the Highlands. And the mm -hmm. Highlands is um, going to be straight up here. We're going to leave Edinburgh and go north. And the major, I'm going to say, quote, unquote, major areas of the Highlands is probably Inverness in the east, and probably, this is kind of a stretch, but like Oban in the west. Um, and I say major cities because once you get past north of Edinburgh and Glasgow, the largest cities are not very large at all, um, but they are kind of major crossways as far as traffic goes. So Inverness, I always say, is a really great place to base yourself if you were doing a self-drive or a chauffeur vacation um, because from Inverness you can hit a lot of areas and it's probably one of the larger cities of, of the north. From Inverness, though, you're going to get to see some really amazing things. And I think the reason that the High Scottish Highlands are the most popular is because they're probably the most beautiful parts of Scotland. You have these beautiful uninhabited areas. You have moors, you have mountains, you have fields of heather, 
that are completely uninterrupted. So think back in time before you have development and cities being built. That is what the Scottish Highlands are really like. Um, my grandmother told me Well, you just me a got me at Inverness. <laughs> Inverness is fantastic, but this the drive even from Edinburgh up to Inverness is really spectacular. And my grandmother told me a story one time that kind of gave me chills. She she is like you. She is in love with bagpipes. She's in love with anything Scottish. And on her last trip, she was telling me how as they were going from Edinburgh to Inverness, they were making some stops along the way, and there's some really cool stuff to see, which I'll tell you about. But she was stopped. They stopped for a moment and got out, and it was just this plain kind of scenery. It was a hillside. You could see the heather. You could smell the heather as the breeze blew. And she said in the distance she could hear very faintly on the breeze the sound of the Scottish bagpipes. And so people were playing outside, and that sound just carries, and it just gave me chills um, being, seeing her standing there and smelling the heather and hearing these bagpipes just faintly playing on the breeze. It was just really oh, nice. such an amazing story. And it's, it's creepy in a way, but kind of amazing that you can faintly hear these bagpipes really anywhere you are in Scotland, which is pretty cool. Well, Inverness got me because that's where my ancestors are from. That's where the Ross clan was based. Exactly, from so the that's, north. That's, yep. the, that's like that's like the center of the Ross clan area of the Ross clan area. So that's where my ancestors come from. So I have a lot of yes. ties to Inverness, and um, and this is what now I know one of the tours that Brendan offers is to do with the book Outland, the Outlander series. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that series got me because somebody recommended me I start that that I start that series because I was looking for a new series to read. And they said, I'll try Outlander. And I'm like, well, what's that about? And they said, oh, mm-hmm. it all takes place in the Scottish Highlands. Well, that got me interested straight away. But right. then when I opened up the first book to read it, it had part one, Inverness, 1945. And I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> My from Inverness, I'm in. So I just start reading. But then within the first few pages, Claire's husband, Frank, was – it's genealogist is his hobby, and that's like, to me, it's travel, people, genealogy. That's mm-hmm. my order of, <laughs> of my hobbies. <laughs> you know, so genealogy is right up there as one of my things. And I'm like, okay, it takes place in Scotland. It's in Inverness. Her husband's a mm-hmm. genealogist. I am so <laughs> into this. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, so it's I, a very cool story. Yeah. But the thing that I liked too is that I was I would be reading things about different events that were taking place in the 1700s, and I was like, is that a real event? And so I'd then go look it up and go, oh my gosh, that really did happen. And that mm-hmm. was one of the things I liked about the authors because she did her research and she would use historical moments in the book, but put mm-hmm. her fictional characters in within that historical moment. So I got yeah. to learn a lot about Scottish history that way. Um, and I mean, there was stuff that I mean. You've got my Scottish ancestry, and I knew basically next to nothing about Scotland except where my ancestors came from and the military mm-hmm. tattoo. But I got to learn so much about Scotland, about Scottish history, um, just reading those books. It was amazing. Yeah, especially the events yeah, that took place and stuff. And I think, if, for those who may not be interested in the Outlander series, because it is a romance story, but it does have a lot of great history, and it's always funny to me when people say, "Oh, I want to do the Outlander trip," and so many of the things from the book are already part of our vacations because they have such historical significance. So mm-hmm. a very major part of the story are the battlefields at Culloden, which is something we do on every single trip. Um, 
And it's something I would recommend that everybody see because it's not very far from Inverness, and there is so much history tied into Culloden. So it really is a highlight, regardless of whether you're into the Outlander book series or not, to definitely visit that area, and again, very close to Inverness in the city. But there's also um, on the, if I understand correctly, and you, you can totally correct me if I'm wrong on this, on the highlights of the, um, the one that's based on the Outlander series, they've taken some of the places where some of the filming was done for the TV series. Correct. Yep, so yeah, we actually so do some Outlander excursions um, where we go to Blackness Castle. That's where uh, some of the filming was done in Fort William for season one on the television series, which is actually on the Stars Network. Um, and then we travel through the town of Fife, which is the setting for many of the other filming locations of Outlander. And we go into the village of Falkland where it's a kind of stand-in for Inverness in the 40s where your story began and it's yep. where Claire's story begins. So we get to stop at the Mrs. Con Coventer Hotel, which was Mrs. Baird's B&B in the series. So you are going to get to see a lot of the sites that were in the television series, which is based on the Outlander book. Excellent. And, you, you know, you said it was a romance thing, but when you actually watch it on TV, yes, there's that mm -hmm. underlying bit of romance in it, but it's just a really cool story. I mean, I got my husband hooked yeah. on watching the series. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he was like, oh, this is some chick flick thing. And then he's sitting there watching it and goes, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, I just want to watch that episode now because we would DVR it. And he says, oh, no, let's go mm -hmm. to the next one. <laughs> and he wouldn't let me watch it unless he was allowed to watch it with me. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. And I think whenever you can tie back um, books and movies to destinations that you visit, it really just makes it so much uh, better for us when we travel. I know there have been so many books that I've read, and as I go through cities, I'm like, oh, we know about this from that story, and this happened there in this story, or mm -hmm. this happened there. And it really just brings the destination to life in a whole new way for, for a lot of people who are traveling to these areas. Oh, I mean, even if the book's based on a town that you live in as well. You're like, mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, I know that area. I mean, we watch, we watch, um, I mean, when you're watching stuff on TV, like, you know, we like watching the NCIS stuff. I used to live in Virginia. And so when they were saying, oh, we're, we're going from here to here, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I know how they get from there to there. I know where mm -hmm. that is. I know where that place is. And they start talking about different locations. Or NCIS LA, they start talking about different locations and zooming in on different areas. I'm like, oh, I've been there. Oh, I know that place. Right. So, and, like, the um, all the films that get done in New Zealand, like Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, um, mm -hmm. Wolverine, and that sort of stuff, when you see the scenery, um, you can sit there and go, oh, my gosh, I've been there. I know that place. And it gives you a different perspective. Um, I was watching, like I was watching The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise in it. And mm -hmm. um, there's a part where he's in the, um, at the Japanese camp and he's teaching them to fire a rifle. He's yelling at them to fire the rifle. And I'm, like, looking at the scenery. I'm, like, paying attention to what he's doing, but I'm looking at what's behind him. And I'm, like, oh, mm -hmm. my gosh, I know that place. <laughs> and it was one of it was one of my it's my favorite park at Pukekura Park, which is in New Plymouth. And mm -hmm. I recognized it straight away. I had spent so many Sundays at that park, I knew that park like the back of my hand. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I know that place and then when they showed a shot later on where they're looking down on the encampment, I'm like, I I know how to get up to the top of that hill. <laughs> <laughs> I know how to get there. <laughs> so it gives you a really different perspective when you see how when you actually experience a place and then you see how they use it in a movie or you've seen it in a movie or TV series and now you get to see how they used that area um, to bring that that particular part of the story to life. For sure. It gives you such, yeah, for sure. such a completely different experience. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I can't wait to go see some of these places 
because I've seen so many, like you got Bra- like you talked before, Braveheart and Rob Roy, those types mm-hmm. of movies as well were all filmed in those areas too. So getting to go to those places and hear the real stories behind them and not just the the um, um, Hollywood the style. Version. Right. Yeah, the, or what I call the Hollywood version. Um, mm-hmm. You get to hear the real stories and then you can say, oh, well, that's really cool how they did that. Yeah. So, yeah, it gives yeah. you a completely different perspective on things. It does, it does. And I'd say if you're into the history of, let's say, that, that whole William Wallace era, um, Culloden is obviously a very important place to visit. Mm-hmm. Glencoe is always a, is another important place to visit for that. Um, so those are really tied into the history of that time period. Rob Roy, we actually label on some of the maps Rob Roy Country, which is really in the center of Scotland. It also happens to be the area where all of the Scottish whiskey is made. So the fact that that's <laughs> so in the center of Scotland. The same, exactly. I can't really say if that's tied to each other or not, but um, you are going to be able to see a lot of that history uh, for both Rob Roy and for the Scottish tasting, whiskey tasting too. Um, but there are so many layers of history as you're going through Scotland. And as I said earlier, you know, so many people kind of tie their ancestry back to Scotland. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of areas to get to for people who want to trace their roots or visit these areas that their family came from that may not be as accessible on certain types of travel, like guided vacations. And so the self-drive really is an easy way to be able to get a taste of that history and uh, of the country overall, as well as the history as it relates to you personally, too. Oh, excellent. Um, now, you mentioned the whiskey tasting thing. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not a drinker, but I know that I have many listeners who like their whiskey. <laughs> so tell us about that. <laughs> so, and so, like, when we, when, we, when we were talking in Ireland, we talked about Guinness and the correct way to pour a Guinness and to let it yes. rest so that you could yes. get the right head on it and that sort of thing. So tell us some of the secrets about whiskey and whiskey tasting. So I have a couple of secrets about whiskey. Um, I have learned a lot about whiskey over the years, and I know that there are different kinds. Um, Scottish whiskey is distilled twice, which makes it a little bit more unique. It's also fired with peat. So lots of peat found in Scotland, and for those of you not familiar with peat, it is an um, organic matter that is created by the the moss and leaves and things being crushed into a very tight space. And so it forms these, um, what we call a bog, but it, it's kind of like a wall of really dense organic material, and it's highly flammable. And so in Scotland, they use peat blocks a lot for fires and to warm homes and to make the Scottish whiskey. And so because of that, Scottish whiskey has this really kind of earthy, flavor to it as compared to like an American whiskey or even an Irish whiskey. Now, Irish whiskey is distilled three times, so it's a very pure taste, where Scottish whiskey whiskey picks up a lot of the flavor from, again, the peat, the um, casks that it's aged in, and a lot of the process. So it's got a more complex flavor, I think, as compared to other kinds of whiskey. Now, The unfortunate secret of Scottish whiskey is that many of the names that you know here are actually owned by large conglomerations, which are probably owned by either a Japanese, a Belgian, or even an American company. So some of those famous names that you know, maybe like uh, the Grouse 
brand or some of the McClellans or the um, Duars. These are all owned by major conglomerations, but there are still some whiskey distilleries that are locally owned and operated and have that friendly Scottish brogue behind the counter. So what we try to do on our guided vacations is really get you into the authentic areas of Scotland. So we do a tasting at a distillery called Glen Goyne. And it is one of the most beautiful whiskey distilleries because it's in a great location. It's got a great scenery around it. And we do a tour and tasting of the single malt whiskey that they make there. And the people that greet us are Scottish. The people that are serving us are Scottish. So it really gives you more of an authentic ambiance when you're tasting that that whiskey taste. <laughs> <laughs> and you see that was Glengoyne. Is that the G-L-E-N-G-O-Y-N-E? It is. Mm-hmm. Oh, damn, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> More of my Scottish coming out than I thought. <laughs> yes. We actually have created, too, and if you're really into whiskey um, and we get gentlemen's groups that go over there, you know, maybe a bachelor party or something that wants to spend a couple of days in Scotland, um, we actually have a chauffeur vacation that is based on Scottish whiskey tasting. So I call it the designated driver trip. We have your, your <laughs> private driver who will take you to... A lot of distilleries, if you know certain ones you want to visit, we can we can set that up for you. Uh, we have some that we've already kind of pre-set up as part of the package. So it really just takes you throughout that middle area of Scotland so that you can sample Scottish whiskey and play your heart's desire. I like the designated driver tour. <laughs> like yes. We don't recommend the Scottish whiskey tasting on a self-drive for obvious reasons. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. Glad to hear you've got the drivers in mind. Yes. Yes. But that would be that would be an awesome. Oh, that just gave me a whole bunch of ideas. Yeah. We're writing more than three pages today. We're already halfway half through the third page. <laughs> um, but oh my gosh, yes, that chauffeur-driven one. Oh, I know some people that would like that. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So now let's get back. Now, people always ask me about haggis. Mm-hmm. So where are some of the good places in Scotland to go to experience haggis? And they want to know I, what is it these days that they are serving? So haggis is a very unique dish, but not so unique in the scheme of things. If you've ever been to South America or Ireland, um, Really, every culture has some version of like a blood pudding, and that's basically what haggis is. So haggis is some of the choice parts of a sheep that have been ground up with some spices and oats generally and mixed into this um, conglomeration that has been stuffed back into a sheep's stomach lining and cooked up and served. So very similar, like I said, to a white pudding or a black pudding, um, in many, many cultures, our blood pudding, Murcia, if, if you're familiar in the Spanish culture. So it's not as crazy as a lot of people may think. Um, haggis cannot be legally searched in the United States because it does have parts of the sheep in it that the FDA does not approve to be served to us here in America. But that doesn't mean it's not <laughs> edible. God has been eating it for hundreds of years, thousands of years, and it's been just fine. So um, yeah. it is something that I recommend you try. 
I am a big proponent of trying new things and trying things within a destination that you're visiting. So definitely give it a try. Interestingly, if you like the flavor of the spices that are used, but you can't get over the mindset of what's actually in haggis, they have haggis-flavored things. So you can get haggis-flavored potato chips. You can get (laughs) haggis-flavored beverages. Um, So you can actually get the spices if you really just kind of like that, but you just can't get over the the idea of haggis. There are flavored items that you can enjoy instead. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds a bit like the Marmite things that we have in New Zealand with Marmite-flavored chips. It's exactly the same thing. If you can't get over the actual flavor of Marmite, you can always get the flavor of it in a smaller dose. (laughs) I mean, it just cracks me up with the different flavors of of potato chips they're coming out with these days. So you can now get haggis. That's actually, that's one of my favorite things to do whenever I travel overseas. The very first place I go to is a grocery store or a convenience store, and I always go to the chip section because different countries have different flavors, and some of them are yep. really interesting. So it's yep. kind of my fun little quirky thing that I do when I go overseas to see what <laughs> crazy flavor chips people have. <laughs> okay, so let's get back. Okay, oh, God, Haggis flavors chips. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to try those when I go over there. <laughs> it's definitely worth trying. Definitely worth trying. But I would say okay. you can get... You can get haggis in any um, store or any restaurant. We usually give a flavor of it. We have it available on a few of the menus that we offer throughout our itinerary. Um, so so you'll definitely have an opportunity to try haggis. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't think my husband's realized he's already eaten it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that that's what you guys, that's what other people know as black pudding or white pudding. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's very similar. Very similar. It's not the exact same thing, but it's a very similar uh, dish. Oh, I'm not going to tell him that it's very similar. No, 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 no. We won't tell him that. No, just have him try it and and figure it out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because I always remember that um, back home in New Zealand, we get the blood pudding as well, the black pudding. And I Mm -hmm. always remember I didn't like that. It was a very strong flavor to it. And then my husband Mm -hmm. tried some in an, um, what were we in? We were in an Irish pub here in the San Diego area, having a brunch one day, and they had black and white pudding on the menu. And so I said, well, you know, you can try it. I said, but from what I recall, it has a very strong flavor to it. I'm not sure if you're going to like it. Well, he got he goes, well, it's not as bad as you made it out to be. So I tried some of it, and I thought, man, that's really mild. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was, not as bad as you remember. Very mild. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay, so back to some of our hidden secrets. So mm-hmm. in the nest, We've got, um, as you said, um, Claudine. No, was it Claud- yeah, Claud- Claudine? The battlefield. Claudine, thank mm-hmm. you. Good grief, brain's gone fried. <laughs> um, so we've got that not far from from Inverness, where the big battle, mm-hmm. the big battleground took place. Now, is that mm-hmm. the one where they have the um, rather than having the names of the men that were killed there, they just have the stones of the clans? Yes, they call it the Ring of Ragnar. Were- yeah. Mhm. Yep, that's going to be in the Culloden area as well. Uh-huh. Excellent. So I always remember reading about that. Um, so where else can we go in that area to find something unique? Well, we know that Inverness is there at the edge of the 
So one of the things that I really love about this area of Scotland, and it's actually in between um, Edinburgh and Inverness, is a little village called Pitlochry. And it is probably one of the most adorable, quaint little villages in Scotland. It is just picturesque. It is lovely. There are um, little shops that you can walk through. It's a little walkable town. And Pitlochry is actually on the banks of a river. And so it's got this beautiful little stone bridge that you can walk over. And it's just a great place to stop for an afternoon. There's some lovely little restaurants there. There's tea houses and pubs. Um, it's a place that we actually stop at frequently just because it's so cute and so charming for people to stretch their legs, grab some lunch, um, really just have a little soak in the culture of rural Scotland. And that village, again, is called Pitlochry. Awesome. And so that would be a good place, like you said, for an afternoon stop there, have afternoon tea. And Do they do mm-hmm. the, um, the high tea in Scotland? Do they do the high tea like they do in England? They do. They have high tea, but it's going to be more in the um, cultural centers. So you'll find, like, in Glasgow, at some of the more upscale hotels, they'll have it. In Edinburgh, they would have it. They're not going to have the high tea as much in the Scottish Highlands, um, for two reasons. One, it's a little bit more rural in in okay. comparison to the south. And two, because in the Highlands they are fiercely independent and so they don't have as many of the English traditions in the north as they would do in the south. Excellent. That's yeah. awesome. Okay. So um let's see. So we've gone from Edinburgh, um we've got St Andrews along the way, we've gone to um up So in Inverness Really, from Inverness, you have two choices. You can, if you really want to get out and explore a lot of Scotland, you can go north. Not as many people go north um, because there's not quite as much to see, but it is really stunning if you have the time to get up into Thurso and the Orkney Islands. They're just these stunning mountainous islands kind of rising up out of the water. It is really far to get to. You have to make the effort to get out there. We do have some trips like our Scottish Highlands, Islands and Cities, which take you all the way up into the Orkney Islands, but it really is scenically beautiful up there, and that's a kind of interesting area to explore. Or from Inverness, you could actually go straight across to the Isle of Skye, which is really a picturesque island that a lot of people want to visit. I will warn you, though, the Isle of Skye is kind of lost in time. So they don't have a lot of great hotels there. There's some three-star hotels that are available. Most of the accommodations on Sky are going to be B&Bs. So it's not a luxurious place. And we do like to warn our guests that the accommodations in Isle of Sky are very limited. So you're not going to be staying in any five-star hotels, unfortunately. But it really is a place that I would make an effort to get out to. If you're on an independent it's, vacation. If it's lost in time, why would you want to be in a five-star place? I mean, if you're, That's if you're always a, a great that, question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're you're doing this trip to learn the history of a country and the culture of a country, and you get a place that's basically lost in time, why mm-hmm. would you expect a five-star hotel to be somewhere that's lost? It would be out of place. It, it really would be. I mean, I think a lot of people think that it is such a beautiful island that, 
maybe some developer would come in and put a, a hotel there, but it really would spoil the feeling of the place. And once you get to the Isle of Skye and you understand firsthand what it's like to be there, you would know that to put some kind of massive resort there would just really ruin the place. So it is yeah. a beautiful, beautiful island to, to visit. Yeah, I wouldn't want to go. Oh, no. Um, Isle of Skye, is that where they've got the fairy pools? They do have fairy pools there. It's also inspired many, many of songs. Uh, there's a lot of songs about Isle of Skye. It's got rolling hills of heather. It it does have roads, so I don't want anybody to think it's like this uh, back hills kind of place. It does have inhabitants and, and major paved roads, um, but it really is a place that you just go for the beautiful scenery. And it does have, I mean, I've seen tons and tons of pictures from the Isle of Skye, and it is just absolutely stunning. It and, is. Um, it really is. And is it that place where it's got that? Um, oh, they ha- is that the one that has the ring of stone? The the um, the rings that are done with the stones, where they start with a small ring in the middle, and then they have got a bigger ring and a bigger ring and a bigger ring. Um, um, I'm trying to remember where that sure. is. I'm not sure. Is that Isle of Sky for that one? Um. In my, in my, there are a couple of, uh, there's also the Isle of Mull, which is a little bit further south near Iona. Iona, you have a lot of the Neolithic history down in that section of Scotland, so it could actually be down there. Okay, because I just remember this, um, I can't remember if it's like rings or if it's a spiral of stones. Um, and I thought that was the Isle of Skye, but I could be completely wrong since I haven't been there, I've only seen the pictures. Right, so you so do have you have well. ring circles um, again, and when you're talking about the Neolithic history, a lot of it is the same from Scotland to England to Ireland. So you have a little bit of of a mixture. Um, when it comes mm-hmm. to the Neolithic history, you have areas like Scarabray, which um, have Neolithic settlements that have been discovered there. On the Isle of Mull, you have the standing stones of Loch Bui, and this is going to be very similar to what you would see at like Stonehenge. Um, but they're okay. just upright stones. They don't have the lintel design like you would find at Stonehenge, so it's not quite as advanced. Um, but you have mm-hmm. the standing stone circles. You have tons of those in that area, Iona, Isle of Mull, Malig, in that area. And then you also have from Ireland um, similar the Neolithic tombs. So the dome tombs where the lights are set up so that they shine into the windows on the north and the south on the um, on the solstices, you have that okay. kind of um, Neolithic history as well and sites that are related to that. So it's kind of a mixture of if you've ever been to Ireland and you've been to the Hills of Hera and um, Newgrange, you'll see tombs similar to that in Scotland. If you've ever been to um, England and you've been to Stonehenge or Avonmore and you've seen the – or Avebury and you've seen the Standing Stone Circles – you'll see some more things to that. And that's really all on that west coast of Scotland, from the Isle of Skye south to the Isle of Mull and Iona. Awesome. Yeah, that whole thing fascinates me. (laughs) It's very interesting. You know, my family obviously is from Scotland as well, and so um, the the Picts, the Celts, that whole history – um, is very fascinating to me too. I love going into the Neolithic areas and seeing that. Well, that's where a lot of um, where you get a lot of the myths, the myths and uh, mythology mm-hmm. come from too, around that area as well. Um, right, exactly. 
and so that that's what fascinates me is seeing things that have inspired um the myths that have come out of there um it's mm-hmm. like if you're down in New Zealand or the South Pacific you know Hawaii the Cook Islands um Samoa all of those islands that have the Polynesian where the Polynesian community is and New Zealand their myths and legends are scaringly the same mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just that the island the the shape of the island is different you know they all had believed that Maui took his grandmother's jawbone and pulled the island up out of the water, and depending which which island you are in as to which island actually got pulled up, um, mm-hmm. you know New, New Zealand's got the the North Island is the fish that he pulled up, the South Island is the canoe, Stewart Island is the grandmother's jawbone. In Hawaii, mm-hmm. it's different um, it's different names for the different islands that got pulled up, and I think it was uh, Molokai. I think is the one that's the one that was the grandmother's jawbone. But it was it's very interesting to see you've got that similar culture mm-hmm. at the base, like that foundation, and that's where their myths and legends come from. And I can and like you said, the same thing's happening with Scotland, Ireland, England, um, where you see the very similar things like with the Stonehenge and the standing stones and then you've got the similar ones over in, in Ireland as well, where you've got these themes that are going through this area and you'll find a lot of their myths are the same, it's just that they may be tweaked to give it the Irish twist or the Scottish twist or the English right. twist or so um, based on what their foundations, but the foundation is there. It's just how the culture has shaped it. So I mm-hmm. think that's, that, that just sort of stuff just fascinates me. Um, yeah, it is so very yeah, fascinating. I, and I think, so I think it's I, interesting too. I think another thing that makes Scotland really cool is the fact that if you just drew a line down the center of it, splitting Edinburgh and Glasgow kind of in half, on the east side you have this, you know, more British-style history. You have St. Andrews, you have the castles, the um, places where the British monarchy have been. You have Edinburgh, which feels like a British city. Um, mm-hmm. And then on the west side, you have a lot of this older Neolithic history. You have Ben Nevis, which is the tallest point in Great Britain. And it's a beautiful mountain. You can actually hike up it. And the scenery on the west side is just so diverse and so stunning. You have hundreds of little tiny islands right off the coast and mountains and the heather and the moors and it's just such a diverse scenery to be able to get out so if you're active and adventurous and you like hiking and walking the west side is really going to be a highlight for you and if you're into that neolithic history the west side is really where you need to focus whereas if you're more into that regency kind of um edwardian history the east side is probably going to be a bigger appeal that's a really good way to look at it, because mm-hmm. I know there's some people that wouldn't be interested in what the west side has to offer. They'll be interested more in what the right side has to offer. So I didn't know that about the, the split of the country that way. So that's really cool mm-hmm. that you're able to do that. Um, you're able to that there's that distinction between the two things. Okay, so Isle of Sky. So what's next on our itinerary that we can go to where we can find some other hidden secrets? So if you're going down from the Isle of Skye, really, I would stop at Ben Nevis. Um, it's a really cool place. If you're not a hiker, just seeing it is very cool because it is the tallest point in Great Britain. But, again, if you are into outdoor adventure, you can't hike up it. Um, my father is a hiker. He went to the top of Ben Nevis, I think, in about three and a half hours. So it's not, you know, Kilimanjaro, but it is a nice outdoor activity <laughs> if you're interested in it. Um, so that would be cool, and that's kind of coming down along that coast. Then you would get into the Isle of Mull and Iona. You will see in between there in the in a little village called Malig is the Glenfinian Aqueduct, which is the iconic 
train bridge that you see in all the Harry Potter films. So if you're interested in that, you can see the Glyncinian Aqueduct on your way um, south as well. And then you're into the village of Glencoe. Again, some really great history there related to William Wallace and Rob Roy. And then you come down further into, now you're in Loch Lomond, which is in a national park. And again, a really beautiful area. Probably not a hidden secret. We all know about Loch Lomond, but definitely an area that you want to check out if you're visiting Scotland for sure. Okay, and then we come from there down into Glasgow? And then we would go into Glasgow. And again, Glasgow is a very cool modern city. So if you're into modern art, if you're into modern architecture, um, there's a lot of really cool stuff going on in Glasgow. I find that people who are traveling to Scotland tend to be going more for the history of it. Um, so they want to see mm -hmm. the castles. They want to see the, the highlands. They want to see the clans and the, and the real Scottish history. Um, so Glasgow doesn't tend to get as much uh, attention as some of the other parts, but it is a very cool city to check out. And again, from Glasgow to Edinburgh is only an hour on the train, which is a great train system. So definitely, you know, bounce back and forth between the two. It's very easy to get into. And I must say that the train system there is really good because trying to find times for clients and stuff when they're doing their own trips and things um, was mm -hmm. very easy. Yes. It was very easy to get the trains between Edinburgh and Glasgow. Yeah, and, and getting into either airport is also quite easy, but, again, if you want to do round trip just to make it easier for you, you can, again, take that train to go back into Edinburgh so you're flying round trip out of the same city. Now, what's some of the hidden secrets that we can find in Glasgow? In Glasgow, um, one of the things that I think is pretty cool is that there is, um, again, some of the really interesting museums to check out. But I really like the history as far as it relates to um, some of the characters of Glasgow. And one of the suggestions that I would have is to actually do, um, I guess it's like a high tea, um, with one of the really cool people that lived in the city who is an architect and an artist. And you can really hear some of the cool stories. And for some reason, his name has left my brain because I think I'm talking about <laughs> it. And so I can't think of who it was. Um, it's going to come back to me. Um, but <laughs> the art and architecture really are very cool. And really getting into some of the museums. Museums, to me, are one of those things where um, you can see a lot of really cool things. But not everybody really wants to spend a lot of time in a museum. I'd say if you're into really modern art, the museums in Glasgow are worthwhile. And his name just came to me. It's Charles Rennie McIntosh. He was born in Glasgow, and he's an architect. So really a, a famous person from Glasgow um, from the 20th century. So you can mm -hmm. walk around the city and see a lot of his work, but you can go to the Glasgow School of Art and they have a lot of his examples of drawings and things that he built there. Um, you can also check out the lighthouse, which is in the city center, and have a cup of tea in the Willow Tea Room on Buchanan Street, which are really cool things just to kind of bring together that 18th century, 20th century, weird mix of old and new that you have in Glasgow. So you said there's a place called the Lighthouse that's in the center of Glasgow? 
It's called yeah. It's called the White House. It's a it's a um, uh, it's an art house, an art museum type house. So it's not actually a lighthouse, um, but it's called the lighthouse. It's in the city center, and then nearby on Buchanan Street, you can find the Willow Tree uh, Willow Tea Room, where you can have a cup of high tea and do experience the high tea, which is cool. The Willow Tea Room. Okay. I'm just catching up on my notes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so um, now that one of the different ways, now we've been we've touched on the, some of the highlights as well as some of the hidden secrets around. Mm-hmm. And Scotland is just one of those. It's it's just a very small country with a lot packed into it. It um, is. <laughs> wow. Um, so, what are some of the ways that people can experience Scotland? Now we've mentioned the guided tours. Mm-hmm. So the guided we vacations mentioned- are always great because they give you uh, that highlight of the destination. One of the things I think is important to note is that on our guided trips that travel in August, they always include the military tattoo. So that can be a hard ticket to get if you're traveling by yourself. And if you really want to make sure you have space and you're able to see that, then a guided vacation may be perfect because it will always include access to that. And we have a couple, we have three different trips that go through Scotland as a guided experience. Um, one just does the best of Scotland, which is about eight days, and it's going to do the highlights, all of the major stuff that you may want to see. And then you have a little bit longer trip, which is called Scottish Highlands, Islands, and Cities. I, I've mentioned it earlier. And that one is 14 days. So it's going to take you into the Isle of Skye, Isle of Mull, up into the Orkney Islands. So you're really getting a very in-depth look at the country. And then you have mm-hmm. the Highland Trail inspired by Outlander. So that is the trip that is going to be focused primarily on visiting scenes from the book and from the television series, but, again, tying in a lot of the history of Scotland that was already interest, um, a high interest for a lot of people as well. Awesome. So that's the guided vacation. Then we have the show for one, especially for the designated driver tour. Exactly. And one of the things that I think is great about the, the show for vacations is that your driver has tips and tricks. They're not guides. In Scotland, it's a little bit different. So the drivers are not actual certified guides. So they're not going to give you a lot of history or a lot of information, but they are going to help you kind of tweak your trip. So they know that a lot of people want to visit Eileen Doonan Castle, for instance. Um, if you're into Monty Python, you definitely want to check that out because you'll recognize oh, which, which it. Which one was that one? For the Monty it's Python? Eileen Doonan Castle, and it's up in the uh, north in the Highlands. So little little bits of information like that, the guides are going to be able to impart. If they hear you talking about, you know, Monty Python then they're probably going to say, you know what, I don't know if you knew about this, but you probably want to check it out. And that's one of the benefits of the chauffeurs is that, again, they're not a guide, but they know where cool things are throughout the country. So they can kind of help you tweak your trip as you travel along. And most people who do a chauffeur think it's got to be, you know, all castles and really expensive. And it doesn't have to be. You can mix and match your accommodations with the chauffeur, mm-hmm. so you can do some hotels and some B&Bs and some castle stays so that it's right for you, which is really important. Oh, so we can do castle stays in Scotland as well? 
You can. There's some really cool castles in Scotland, too. Castle stays. Okay, got that one written down to do. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I just, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> um, so we've got the guided tours of Shepherds. What about locally hosted? What are those ones about? So we don't do locally hosted in Scotland because the train only runs really from Edinburgh to Glasgow, so it doesn't go up into the um, Highlands, which is really what the locally hosted is all about is the train travel as well. But we do have uh, self-drive vacations. So with the self-drives, we, just like in Ireland, will set you up with a car rental, your accommodation, and then we unleash you on the Scottish people to figure out the roundabouts and driving on the other side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's mentioned driving on the other side of the road. <laughs> yeah. I, I will tell you, my family, we've been to Scotland many, many times. Um, we've done the self-drives. We've done the guided trips. And my aunt has hit a person. So if you can get through without hitting an actual person, you're, you're leaps and bounds above most people. So don't worry <laughs> about getting behind the wheel. You, you, will, you will be fine. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yes, she didn't go yes. to jail. She didn't get a ticket. It was a little bit of a it's an inconvenience. Nobody was harmed in the uh, making of that vacation. But yeah, thank so goodness if you don't for that. Anything, exactly. If you don't hit anything, you're good to go. Everything else will be easy. <laughs> <laughs> and like you said, with the self with the self guided vacations, um, drive vacations, they can then take themselves up into the highlands and up into those areas mm -hmm. as well too which would be awesome, um, especially if they don't want to, especially if they're doing like I would be doing. Well, see, I would want to do a guided vacation through Scotland, but then I would want to pick up a rental car at the end of it because I want to do the guided vacation to make sure I get my military tattoo ticket. Um, mm -hmm. Then after the guided one was over, then I'd pick up a rental car and then drive up to Inverness so I can do my family tree research. Exactly. So I would do a combo do of both. Yeah, a lot oh, of people cool. do that. You can do the best of Scotland, again, which is a short little guided vacation and really gives you the highlights of the destination. But then a lot of people's family are from these little tiny towns. Like my family's from a little town in the very south of Scotland called Girvan. Nobody goes to Girvan. There's nothing of interest there for most people. But I would want to visit there because of my ties there with my family. So being able to add on, if you have a, a 10-day vacation time available, you can still do the guided with a couple of extra days on your own to visit those really remote areas that relate to your specific history, which is great. Yeah, because I know that um, a lot of your tours go through in Venice and they only spend like a night or two mm -hmm. there. But for me, that wouldn't be enough doing genealogy research because I would want to spend days there going through right. records and that sort of thing too. So, um, so I would definitely be spending a little more time there. Mm-hmm, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's why I would then want to put the self-drive thing on there and drive up to Inverness and explore around that area where my ancestors were and visit right. the, Ross, the Ross Castle, the Ross Estate, whatever it was up there. Um, mm -hmm. I know there's a building of, I don't know if it's a castle or a manor or what it is up there, but I know there's something tied up with the Ross family up there. Um, that's awesome. So we've got... So just to recap, we can do guided vacations, we can do the chauffeur-driven ones, and we can do the self-drive ones in Scotland. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And with the self-drive, just like with the uh, chauffeur, you can mix and match. So 
You can do mm-hmm. a couple of hotels in the major cities. You can do some B&Bs along the way. Um, and then, of course, you can do the castle stays or the manor house stays. And we have some really remarkable properties that I would definitely check out. Some have a great history to them, like um, like Eris Castle, which is in Eris, and it's, you know, one of the homes of Robert the Bruce. So that's a very cool property to, to look out. And then you have some more modern properties that are considered quote-unquote castles, like um, the McDonald's chain has not the restaurant, the hotels. <laughs> they have a couple of castle properties around the country. You have um, some other properties like in Edinburgh where you have a quote-unquote castle hotel, but it may not be quite the castle that you're – it's not that 13th, 14th century. It may be something that's a little mm-hmm. bit more modern. So there really is something for everybody's taste. Um, I personally love Dalhousie Castle. It is a 13th century property, which is just about eight miles outside of Edinburgh. So if you don't want to be in kind of the heart of the city, you want to be a little bit outside of town and go into town, that is a great property as well. So there's some really, really cool accommodations throughout Scotland that you can really enjoy that some have some great history and some are just some really nice places to stay. <laughs> and what was the name of that um, that last castle again, the one that's just it's outside of Edinburgh? Dalhousie. Okay. Very, very cool place. See, and then if you're like my grandmother, my grandmother wants to stay in a castle in Scotland, and I, I show her all these beautiful places that we have, and she looked at me, she goes, these are too too nice, they're too modern. I want one that's just old stone walls. And I said, the problem is that in about the 15th, 16th century, they discovered that stone walls aren't very great at keeping in heat. And so a lot of the castles <laughs> have been modernized. So that you stay warm, you know, it is very cold in Scotland pretty much year-round. So, you know, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to stay in anything that you probably saw in Braveheart, but uh, there are some very cool properties that have been updated for our more modern um, requirements. <laughs> so she wanted she wanted the original castle with the with she the, wants to the stay skins in the over the window and the, with the skins over the windows and the skins exactly. on the bed to keep you warm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> She, she would take a sleeping bag and sleep in some ruins if you let her. And I'm like, no, you, you can't do that. <laughs> Why not? I'll be there with her. <laughs> I'll go to that. But not in the middle of winter. <laughs> exactly. That, that's the unfortunate part about Scotland. You know, temperature-wise, it is cold there pretty much all year round. I've been there in July when it's been 32 degrees. I've been there in November when it's been 32 degrees or lower. So it really never gets warm in Scotland, and that is definitely something you should kind of keep in mind. I, I know when we talked about Ireland, we talked about how it's a little bit more moderate and um, temperate there, but in Scotland it's pretty much cold all the time, so you definitely want to pack accordingly. Okay, so cool all the time. Excellent. And now on the guided vacations, you guys do something mm-hmm. which is really cool, and that's your Be My Guest. Yeah. So what sort of things can they expect in Scotland for the Be What type of things can they expect for Be My Guest in Scotland? So you have a couple of different um, experiences, and again, it depends on the itinerary, where we're going, um, which which trip you're on. Um, but probably one of my favorite Be My Guest experiences is when we get to go out to the farm. So we visit a family, the Wood family, 
and we get to go out to their farm, which has been there since the 15th century, and it's on the wow. shores of a of a lake, and it is really cool because you get to learn a little bit about the families themselves, the Wood family. They're really sweet. Um, you know, the parents are there, kids, animals, grandparents, everybody kind of comes in when our groups come in, and we get to have a home-cooked Scottish meal. We hear the tales of Rob Roy, and um, they play some traditional music for us, and we just get to hear the stories of their family, but also the stories of the area, which is a pretty cool experience. So being able to meet some of the locals, have a local meal, but more importantly, just kind of hear the stories of all the people that have lived there is, is really interesting. Oh, cool. And what's the other one that they may get? What's that again? Well, you said that there was, was it two different There's types? A few. Yeah, we also, we also visit a little area called Jedburg, um, which is a medieval village, and there's a great Be My Guest experience there, too. Um, and that's that's a pretty interesting one. Again, we're going to be having a meal with a local family. And um, Jedburg is a medieval village, so we get to learn a little bit more about um, the village itself and, again, some of the stories of that area. But what's cool about the village is that it was kind of undiscovered until recently. So they oh. just found... Yeah, they just found that area, and um, so it's kind of the stories of the family discovering Jedburgh is pretty cool, too. <laughs> and, again, traditional Scottish meal included, which is really nice. Excellent. Wow, that is all. Okay. We've got, we beat Ireland. i got four pages of notes this time. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of phonetic spelling in there, so I'm going to have to go back and decipher it. <laughs> But, Ashley, I would like to thank you again for coming on and this time talking about Scotland with us. It has been very educational. Um, I can't wait to get, I seriously cannot wait to get over there and go exploring, one, on a guided vacation and two, as a self-drive. And I'm definitely going to make time to do both at the same time um, mm -hmm. just so that I can absorb it all at once um, and just have a great time over there. Um, so thank you again for taking time out of your day to be on the show with us. I truly appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome. And I hope everybody has an amazing time. Scotland is really a special destination. And it may not have those big iconic things that call you to other parts of Europe, but I assure you I have never met a single person that hasn't come back and started planning their next trip back to Scotland because it is just a remarkable place to visit. Awesome. That is awesome. Well, thank you again, Ashley. I appreciate it. And if you would like to know more about traveling to Scotland, just go to connectwithhelen.com, and that will put you directly into my calendar, and you can pick the best day and time that works with your schedule, and we can um, set up a time to talk about Scotland and work out whether you're best doing a guided vacation, a self-drive, or being chauffeur-driven around. Mm -hmm. So until next time, heck on it with Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.